Hello, and welcome back to episode one of season two of my little music business podcast, Behind the Music Business, with me, Danny Champion. Thanks so much for coming coming back and giving season two a bit of a listen. Unfortunately, these intros and outros haven't got better yet. Apologies for that. Series two, episode one, is with Rebecca Pickles, songwriter, vocalist, promoter, lecturer. I'm sure there's plenty of other things in there, but those were the main focuses on from our chat. Um, I met up with Beck a few months back at her home just outside of Manchester and we talked about a bunch of stuff. We talked about her time in the band The Pipettes. Uh, We talked about her being part of Jessica Hoop's live setup as live session backing vocals. We talked about her time as a promoter and plenty of other stuff besides that. Um, It's a great listen. I'm sure you won't be able to hear where the battery dies on my recording equipment and I had to make a quick change of battery. So I think I've got got rid of that in the edit. Um, But yeah, as I said, it's a great listen. Episode one, season two, these are going to be shorter. So I'm going to shut up and here's my chat with Rebecca Pickles. I wanted to start with how you started, really. Where did your start in the music industry come from? Um, through uh, my first band, The Pipettes, which yes. I was asked to join um, when I was at university, actually. So um, there was no inclination before that? No, not really. Like it was just... You were asked to join a band. <laughs> yeah, well, I'd already at school. Um, I, I've, I've danced from a young age, so I was already always involved in theatre. So that's kind of where love for performing came from. Um, and I was in choirs and in second orchestra. Woohoo! Um, and so I'd always done music and um, be involved in music, but never had thought about being in a band. I always wanted to be in, in musicals. That's what that was my career ambition. Okay. <laughs> Believe it or not. Yes, indeed. Um, So when I got into college, that actually changed quite a lot, and I just thought, do you know what? I don't want to make a career being a stage actor. Um, It's it's just too too difficult. It's not something that that interests me. So I actually started looking more into the technical side of things and ended up doing um, kind of lighting design whilst I was at university. Uh, Sorry, at college. Okay. So I'd always been kind of moved more into the technical side of things then um, and decided to go to university to study video production um, with the aims of actually being a cam operator. Um, so that was that was kind of what I wanted okay, to so do. Okay, so a bit more so, of a specific mm, trade slash skill. Yeah, exactly. Um, so whilst you were there, the pipettes... The, yeah, the pipettes happened. kind of happened, yeah. And so talk me through... Talk me through that. Um, so I think they'd already been, they were already a band by mm-hmm. this point. Um, and it was Bobby, who's the guitarist, and Julia, um, who was the original uh, female member. They formed the band together and they wanted it to be like a scientific experiment, hence the name The Pipettes. Um, okay. 
So that's where the pipettes kind of came from. Um, they knew that they wanted to have three girls and it to be based on 60s inspired girl bands um, and to have the, the boys playing the instruments behind. Um, so Rosa was then asked, who happened to be the girlfriend of the drummer who had been asked. Um, and we were all, the girls weren't friends, but the boys were friends and all of the girls knew the boys through various different means. So I'd right. been friends with everyone for years, you know, about five years or six years. Um, I think they'd asked another uh, girl um, and then she couldn't do it. And so Bobby was like, well, we need somebody who can dance and then remembered that I danced. So asked me to join and that was that was it really. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was obviously having a choir background and singing harmonies has mm-hmm. kind of helped, but it was my first kind of foray into pop singing, so to speak. And this was 2003. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what can you remember of the music industry what did it look like back then from completely your angle completely different um it's completely different to how it is now yeah. um dominated by men without a doubt one i mean one of the reasons that the puppets were so successful um was because it was anti-establishment it was anti everything that was happening in that era at the, at the time because it was all kind of post libertines and arctic monkeys and there were just yeah. loads of carbon copy lad bands in, and it was very boring there weren't very many women in music at all because this is before Lily Allen and before Amy Winehouse before Duffy mm-hmm. so um, it was very different it was just men everywhere and I remember even playing shows the, just the level of sexism that we were up against was was incredible really um, just uh constantly having blokes hitting on you which you know just for no reason other than the fact that that's just how they're used to talking to women and treating women mm-hmm. um so that was quite eye-opening um it was however different in as much as you got paid we got paid every single gig that we did so let's take a quick step back you mentioned it was an experiment mm-hmm. by who Specifically, um, was it by a record label? No, by the band. By the band themselves. Yeah. So this is this is an independent, yeah, manufactured pop band experiment rather yes. than Sony or Warner's or someone like that coming yeah. along. Oh something. yeah, absolutely. It was completely manufactured by us. That was what I think one of our kind of taglines or mission statements, if you will, that we were independently manufactured, self-manufactured pop group. Um, But it was DIY. Um, Actually, we did a lot of gigs with punk bands because of that. Um, So we've supported Hot Snake, uh, which was was really interesting. (laughs) So, I mean, it's an interesting idea, that whole kind of being a pop act who is also independent, Mm. I guess, because and then also getting paid and being a success did you have any idea about what success was going to look like no none of all? us none of us knew anything and i think this is kind of one of the the, the, the major issues at being um we were a seven piece band as well so that's there's a lot of us um and that's the cat trying again <laughs> um there were yeah, so the seven of us in in the band. We were doing when I was at university. I think we were doing at times like four shows a week. Um, so we right. were covering our costs, but we that was it. We weren't making any money to to live off of, um, and and that that's the kind of distinct difference with the kind of independent notion is that we we ended up being in a situation where we were so busy because we were booking so many gigs, um, which was fantastic, but we had no money. 
Um, I ended up living off credit cards, which I wouldn't recommend to anyone <laughs> at all. Um, but it was really tricky, you know, um, and all of us kind of were frustrated, I think, about mm-hmm. about that because you want that's when you kind of think well obviously we're getting to the point where we must be successful because we're selling out shows and we're headlining shows and we're making enough money to fund the shows um, and people are noticing us Mm -hmm. which is fantastic but we're still kind of struggling financially um, in that respect i.e. it can't be a full-time job but it feels like a full-time job right and I guess that's the kind of what is success Mm. in that area is Mm -hmm. it you know was that what were the chart positions from the from the sales of records looking like at the time as well we got well that that point we'd had memphis industries were interested in us so they've come to a few of our shows um, and that's when julia left and then gwen um joined because julia was like i don't want to sign a record deal so we auditioned gwen um gwen joined and then we signed with memphis mm-hmm. um who are a great label um and they released the first record, which had obviously already been written because we've been touring it for about three years by that point. Yeah. Um, and we got, I think it was 25 and 32, I think, okay. with two two chart positions that we got. But that's still independent. Mm-hmm. We're still not spending vast sums of money on marketing and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah. And you were booking your own shows? Um, not by that point. I mean, when we we had a manager um, who was one one guy independent. Um, and when we things started shifting, we kind of said we need to do more. We need a booking agent. Mm-hmm. We need um, marketing. We need PR. Um, and he did, wasn't able to do that. So we actually then moved to a different management company. Um, which was a management company yep. as opposed to one independent person. And I think that was the best move for for us because they then did have a little bit of money. So that eased the pressure, obviously not to pay us any wages, but it just meant that, that mm-hmm. they could pay for some of the, the touring, um, for some equipment and clothing, basically. Uh, which always which, good to have clothing yeah well because we had the stage outfits we kind of <laughs> we needed that really they were disgusting <laughs> um so that that alongside signing to memphis and then we uh had a, got a booking agent at that time mm-hmm. Th- those kind of things occurred roughly around the same time within i'd say about six month period um and that's when we kind of i would say got to the next level and the the shows that you were playing, you've mentioned that you were supporting punk bands and mm. things like that. I mean, do you still class yourself or that band as a pop band and therefore did you do you think that you were playing the right shows? Were they playing the kind of mm-hmm. shows that other pop bands wouldn't have gone <laughs> anywhere near and I think so, but I think the the the, the difference was is kind of how we thought of pop um and the the kind of pop is twofold it is it is it is either popular and what is popular at that particular moment in time or it is pop as in what is stylistically deemed as pop so actually formulaically we thought our songs were written as kind of standard pop songs yeah they were never longer than three minutes for example they would follow a fairly similar kind of um chorus uh, sorry verse chorus verse middle eight mm-hmm. chorus chorus 
progression, you know. Um, so in that respect, we that's what we kind of deemed ourselves as being a pop band. Um, but actually, there's a lot that, that was very punk still. And I think actually kind of probably more power pop. I right. think that's kind of where we sat more than Cause, anything. I mean, because at that time, so 2003, 2004, 2005, that sort of time, I was working at a small label my first job in the music industry and I was helping out working with tour managing Mm -hmm. a pop artist who was playing fireworks display shows for radio stations with Liberty X (laughs) that sort of stuff he had been in a five piece pop band in the 90s that was on the Smash Hits tours with Steps and Five and those guys and was just in one of the pop bands that never managed to get to the same level. But there was tons and tons and tons of them. And so in my head, there there is a crowbar separation between kind of that world of pop, the Atomic Kittens, the Liberty Xs, which is playing a couple of songs on playback at radio station events very, very regularly. Lots and lots of radio play, lots and lots of TV stuff, but not a lot of live gigs versus kind of what you're saying was your experience of the whole whole thing, where you're playing venues and dive bars and stuff like that (laughs) with, with crowds and stuff. So it is a little bit more indie a little bit more punk that sort of thing yeah. rather than kind of guess what I had the idea in my head of, of it being a yeah a shiny pop band yeah no I, the thing is is that we weren't uh, <laughs> we weren't averse to um, the kind of the shiny pop world that is what we would have loved to have yeah. have done um, but that wasn't something that I don't think it's compatible um, I think it's very hard for a kind of a band to become a manufactured pop band or to sit on the same kind of. Stage. Well, there isn't. There isn't kind of this natural progression no. into it, is there? Because you see it now. You go. You don't really see pop stars playing two hundred cap venues and then going <laughs> up to a thousand cap venues and then playing arenas. They just suddenly kind of are the pop stars that are playing the arena shows yeah exactly but i mean it's that that is a different world and that very much is management um label Mm -hmm. based and i think if you aren't part of that team or that network then it's just never going to be something that's that's attainable and we confuse the industry um because of that because of what we were saying and then our actions being kind of almost two different things Mm -hmm. so we were saying yes we're a self-manufactured pop band um and we're manufacturing ourselves so that nobody else can because we want that ownership and we want that control um so we we had major labels show an interest Mm -hmm. um but they all admitted they didn't really know what to do with us because how can they put their stamp onto something that's already completely fully formed Mm -hmm. they can't they can't manage something no um and we wouldn't have enabled that to happen so did you all have a a say in what was going on or was it somebody's project was it somebody's baby no I mean I would say it was Bobby and Julius to begin with but the whole point of the the, the band was that it was um, 
evenly split seven ways everything was split seven ways because everyone realised that without any one person the band wouldn't exist in okay. the same you way you all wrote the songs all wrote collectively the songs. Yeah. that sort of stuff yeah was it fun? yeah it was it was and I think it's such a good way to work because there was a point when singles are getting picked um, and you could see that if there was separate songwriters you can easily see how it can become quite damaging for bands because you would have some songwriters naturally who would want their songs picked over others mm-hmm. whereas we were in a kind of lucky situation where we could say um no do you know what okay you pick well we perhaps prefer this song but at the end of the day you're the record company so you you pick what you believe yeah. and that's not an issue and why how did it all come to an end um, we had been record well, we've been playing the same songs for years <laughs> for starters. <laughs> which is is hard work. We'd had written some new songs. Um, I think our biggest single ha- was written after we got signed to Memphis. I think I can't quite remember, but I'm sure mm-hmm. that's how it was. Um but then we we did we did well enough um, that we were touring Europe a lot and that's when we started going over to America. We played South by Southwest. We were the buzz band of South by Southwest in 2007, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when Interscope um, started showing interest in us. Um, and that was how we got to Japan and Australia and we just kind of, it all started getting a bit bigger and then there mm-hmm. was a talk of a South American tour. Um, but we didn't, it was just weird that, that step up from suddenly going onto a major label and the money being available. So we were all kind of started then being able to pay ourselves a wage. Um, not a large one by any stretch of mm-hmm. the imagination, but seven piece band. Yep. Um, but it got got a lot busier and we were touring a lot and then all of a sudden it was things were being promised and then being taken away um and there were just other situations you know like having we had a meeting with Jimmy Irvine um and it was like you need to be really grateful because Jimmy's taking his time out of his busy schedule to talk to you and you know he just kind of like yeah. oh, you know and he just kept talking to us about the pussycat dolls and I was just I just thought I'm not comfortable in this world this isn't me I don't I don't react. I'm not not a sheeny, shiny person. You know, I'm more comfortable, you know, throwing myself around on stage mm-hmm. than I am acting in a certain way because I'm being told to right. um, or because it's expected. I'm not very good like that. I never have been. Um, so I think that's that was kind of the things that started changing. Um, lots of situations where it was suddenly very apparent that how we were or did used to do things wasn't how we were going to continue doing things um so i became very distant from it all i wasn't very happy um and i think that was the same with a lot of members of the band but by that point you kind of stop talking to each other because everyone just isolates themselves or um yeah I, i think it just it can create friction and I just remember there was like one last the last American tour which was just awful (laughs) just so awful we had no money they changed the tour routing so it went from having like five weeks of shows with three days off which was great for us um 
all guaranteed um, fees to suddenly the label saying, do you know what, nobody's going to gigs anymore. Um, like Maroon 5 have had to cancel loads of their dates. Avril Lavigne's had to cancel loads of dates. People just aren't going to gigs anymore. Um, so we're going to cancel the tour, we're going to cut it. Um, so it then went to like three weeks, but with five days off, um, with no guaranteed. So I just remember we had like no PDs, hardly any PDs at all. Um, but because we weren't playing shows, we had just had no food. So we were just grumpy, <laughs> we were just miserable. It was horrible. And yes, we had to like beg the label to give us like a hundred bucks to go and be able to fill the bus up with food that we could all eat because we just didn't have anything. And so just that I think was the last straw. Um, Rose yeah. decided to leave and I carried on for a bit longer but I was just desperately unhappy um, and so the band kind of had a meeting and it was just like just, yeah I'm just you, you need to leave I need to go yeah um, it's not anymore exactly yeah. um, and I think that it's one of those where I've you, you realise and I say see this happening a lot now especially with bands you know when they say difficult second record it has nothing to do with creativity people who write songs can write songs it's to do with whether you as a band can keep working together and I firmly believe that we toured the same record pretty much for five years we never had any space to actually write okay. anything and actually we were desperate to write something because we were so bored and that's because we'd been together for three years before we got signed to memphis and then we were with memphis for about a year and a half before we then signed to interscope so we had obviously recorded the record toured that with memphis and then mm -hmm. it got re mixed right. and mastered for the american release and then we had to tour it all again for them so you know in effect we were touring the same album then for two years couldn't do that now could you no you couldn't you absolutely couldn't i'm surprised you could do that then yeah and you'd still have the people coming to the shows and yeah it's different markets i suppose so it kind of that's yeah. that's the difference but uh but yeah we were all of us kind of just like we just want to be able to write music now right. um and just never had the opportunity <laughs> So were you when you left? Were you always? Did you want to continue within the performing area of things? Um, I had a natural break from it. I think I think I needed to for my own mental well being, um, which is when I started running music venues instead and kind of got back into still being involved in the creative live industry, which I loved so much I actually always preferred live to recording for mm -hmm. example I mean especially as a vocalist <laughs> it's dull it's very very dull we would you know <laughs> okay. to track vocals for every every single song and just sat there you know it was not something that I enjoy yeah. at all I much preferred performance in live um, so that's that was just what I throw, threw myself into really instead um, but I did still write my own music and kind of got into doing that um and then met um pete well pete marshall who's from manchester now was known as mando pete who's played for pretty much everyone currently drums for paul heaton um mm -hmm. he uh, was drumming for liam frost and the slow down family so we'd met touring um and he actually just got in contact and just said do you want to music yeah, actually, why not? So we actually wrote music, and that's the reason that I moved to Manchester. Okay. Yeah. And so then you thought, I'm going to be a 
songwriter or yeah. it was just kind of let's do this because it's fun yeah let's do this because it's fun we'll see where it leads um um it was it was okay it was okay and i think this is this is why i stopped this for the second time then because i think you especially having been in the perfects and being lucky enough to have been in a band which was very clear-cut you liked it or you didn't. I don't mm-hmm. think anyone's kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of getting what they're doing. It was just like, no, I think it's terrible. Or yeah, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, that is, is a really good marker. Um, and the last thing you want is ambivalence. <laughs> and I feel yeah. like the, the music that I did with this next band, it, it was a bit like, yeah. yeah, mm, it's fine. yeah. And, and I think that, that uh, yeah, I, I didn't get any enjoyment from that. How did some of the touring vocalist stuff happened like with Jessica Hooper and mm. stuff like that how did that come about that came about through Pete actually yeah. um, I auditioned for her and I just thought do you know what I'm going to I'm going to go for it this would be very different from having just doing kind of very straight three part pop harmonies um, I'm going to go yeah I'll just go for it and so I did I went and auditioned and got got it and I sang with her for about five or six years mm-hmm. I think it was and from a music education perspective it is the best education I've ever, ever and that had. was that was one audition for one artist you didn't mm-hmm. suddenly then go shift into okay well I'm gonna become a session vocalist now mm-hmm. or anything like that it was just that's something that came about you were also doing the event management yeah. and venue stuff mm-hmm. when you weren't touring so it was a bit of a portfolio <laughs> career well, no, it's, a, yeah. I mean, it's something that I've mentioned to a few people recently is that that's the way everybody should look now it's you're not one thing you're mm. five or six different things yeah. all at once yeah and I think also um, the session world it's incredibly competitive and you aren't going to book many jobs if you're just a vocalist and I'm just a vocalist. I don't play anything well right. enough to, to play live. And so that's something that for me, I just thought, I have sung on different records and, and, and whatnot, but there was just no point in, in even trying to make a career out of it because for most session vocalists, you, unless you kind of, I guess, have a specific, you're called in for a specific reason. Yep. Uh, for the most part, the kind of session work that I knew going, it's what you have to play an instrument as well. Um, so... I never even thought twice about making that a career. It was just that was fun mm. for the time. Yeah, you know, it, I've always thought, isn't it wonderful that I get to firstly sing somebody else's songs, so that eases the pressure mm-hmm. completely. You're singing a part that you're. And this was a touring mm-hmm. job as well, so yeah. you were gallivanting around the world. Yep. Singing yep. somebody else's songs. Yeah, I'm getting paid to do it, which is. Great. It's not too bad, is it? It's not, it's not. <laughs> and again, it was at kind of a smaller scale, so it's not this kind of huge, you know, you're on a sleeper bus touring around the world, yeah, yeah, yeah. makeup artists and I love and Jessica Hoop, she's awesome. She's absolutely but, yeah. amazing. No, it was it was almost again what I knew, so it was quite mm-hmm. DIY. Um all of us kind of much. Did you in. know of her before the audition came up or anything like no, that? No, no, I didn't actually. Um and it's not something that I would have naturally put myself um, forward I think to, to sing either mm-hmm. um, she is incredibly clever um, I love her arrangements um, but the the music the kind of is is not something that I yeah would have ever thought 
I'd be singing. I mm. love her music and I listen to it. I think she's fantastic. But to be involved in that was, was incredibly rewarding. Your university degree was kind of more of a technical mm-hmm. learning a trade, learning how to do a thing. Yeah. Mentioned it was in camera operating. Uh, it was video production. Video production, but yeah. then you did mention that there was something involving lighting. Yep, yeah, I did that at, um, at the beginning college. So, so there was always something. Theater. There was mm. there was always something in the background when it comes to putting on live shows, live mm-hmm. events, things like that. Yeah. So, how did you get into that? Is that a, <laughs> is that a job that you saw? being advertised or did you just no. walk into a venue and went can I put on an event <laughs> I was I was working at the Hope um, in Brighton which is now called the Hope and Ruin but back then it was called the Hope um, and I was just working behind the bar um, and the Hope was previously called the Lift and the Lift was an ace venue we used to go there all the time um, to see bands and it was also kind of where the Strokes played the first Brighton show the White Stripes did Adele did so um, it was it was a venue that I, I knew but I was just yep. working behind the bar um, and the manager there just kind of said, hang a second, Becky, <laughs> you know you like, you know about music. Do you want to take over the running of the venue? Ah, yeah, okay, why not? Give it a go. And that's pretty much what happened. So okay. I just took over the, the running of the of the venue, really. And it was primarily at that point just used for, like, private parties. Um, but I just kind of thought, do you know what, we this is this was a great venue that we used to come to that had mm-hmm. really cool interesting alternative bands playing so let's try and do that so that's that's kind of that's and so what were it. your day-to-day tasks roles um at that point but it was all promotion booking um and the venue management side of things as well yeah um which was interesting and I pretty much i had no budget <laughs> either. Nice. yeah which was always helpful really helpful um so it pretty much started off with just booking in local band nights um, right. and going from there, really, and then eventually kind of doing some more in-house stuff with local bands. Um, managed to pull in some favours and get British Sea Power to play the kind of relaunch of the venue, which was which was really good. Um, yeah. So when was when when did all this happen? Uh, two thousand and eight. Two thousand and eight. So mm. back in two thousand and eight promoting putting on local band nights mm-hmm. how was that in 2008 hard yeah <laughs> really hard um it was especially with no budget i think it was incredibly difficult but also because i'd never done it before it's all just a learning curve really mm-hmm. so i get and it was all just pulling in favors from people that i'd met when i was in the pipettes um so working at that time there's a magazine called brighton source um so working with i think the editor was james um working with him to try and get all of like kind of our nights promoted as much as possible mm-hmm. um but trying to get a website up and running and mailing lists remember mailing lists uh. <laughs> you know because there's no social media yeah um so it was all mailing lists and really trying to kind of um, spread the word. Uh, it was, yeah, it was difficult. Um, and also that was kind of, it was a turning point for the, the industry. around. I mean, the industry, I think, had been struggling a bit, events around that time anyway. So it was kind of difficult to get touring bands in and be able to offer them anything. <laughs> Thank you.
wanted to talk about, what I wanted mm. to get your professional insight into is that yeah. difference between mm. um, booking a touring band, getting a touring band into the venue that mm -hmm. you are working for versus the local band nights. Yes. I think that's the key thing that I'm fascinated with mm -hmm. because they are both e they're both important to a venue definitely but um, both important to a local scene yeah um, and you know obviously one trades very much on the pull of the band yeah the other one kind of needs to trade on the pull of the venue yes and the promoter and yeah kind of that sort of thing so yeah. you can offer a little bit of insight into that well and I'm not saying this is the right way but how I approached it having had no experience in yes. it was let's get people through the doors um, and remind them that there is a venue here so I, I actually started with the local band nights first right. because I thought I want to I want local musicians to know that the venue exists mm -hmm. and that it's available and that it's operational uh, and I thought they're not going to make money we know that they're not going to make money so I can't offer money. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Obviously, I have no budget. I'm not being given a budget by the manager. Yeah. Um, the one thing we were able to do was work with the brewery and, and say, um, you know, what can you give us for these local band nights? So I had loads of booze. So if that, that was kind of the trade-off. all else fails. <laughs> yeah, pay the bands in booze. Nice. Um, so that's what we did. Um, and it was, I think I charged like two, two quid in, you know, just to try and cover the costs of the staff. And that's it. And they were never kind of totally sold out um, shows, but they weren't, I, I think the lowest attendance we had was, a, it's a 100 capacity venue, so mm -hmm. I think the lowest attendance we had was about 20 or 30 people in. Um, and that was, that was fine. So I tried to do, I think, two of those a week. Um, and then also tried to get outside promoters to start booking nights in as well, just to take the pressure right. off myself. And again, it was... I kind of figured it's additional promotion for the venue. Mm -hmm. We need to get the venue in the listings papers. We need to get people coming through those doors to realise that there's something here. So that's what I started doing before I then started booking in in-house touring bands myself. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, it kind of, it worked in, in as much as I'd never lost any money which was good so I was able to mm -hmm. kind of slowly start building up a small, small pot of money to then actually be able to pay people um, with like British Sea Power for example um, and what I did start doing was run my own monthly night there as well uh, with a friend of mine um, and that was really good and we used to sell that out every month um, and we again had touring bands and local bands playing mm -hmm. so I think the good thing is I only I did it for about nine months i think um before the the, ve the venue um, manager the bar manager kind of said to me um we're gonna have to cut your hours in the venue because um we're just not seeing any any money um in this and we'd, we don't really know what you're doing <laughs> i just kind of thought right well you could ask me what i'm, <laughs> what I'm doing um <laughs> but she's like, oh, yeah i don't really know what you're doing and and that was the time at which i'd already been kind of thinking about moving up to Manchester so right. it seemed to me to be the, the kind of mm -hmm. the move then okay do you know what clearly they're not understanding what's going on and here mo and moving to Manchester you just went into venues in Manchester yeah. to do the same straight same. away yeah are you interested in this very much self-starting it wasn't waiting for a job advert no or no. anything like that it, again just knowing people so yeah. I went into the Ruby Lounge the night I moved to Manchester and the next day I was working 
Cool. That's pretty pretty much what happened, really. Um, and it was it was good. I mean, kind of going back to to the hope. I think it was it was just. It, it it was interesting to a degree. I think the frustration there was working with with the, the kind of owner, the franchise owner, who didn't know about live, the live industry at all. Um, that we had the opportunity, for example, to change the the venue, the layout of the venue, and the brewery was going to pay, I think, like front twenty or thirty grand for the redesign, which was great, um, because it was a franchise. The actual whole company just said no no we don't we don't want it i think it was i can't remember who it was but it was a it was a an alcohol brand that clearly they didn't want to be associated with which i thought was short-sighted um and so again i kind of thought well clearly they're not actually really interested in developing this as a as a music venue Mm -hmm. um so uh it was interesting then going back a few months later and the manager kind of saying oh yeah so now realise the amount of work that you did and all the groundwork that you put in. Um, our new venue manager has lost us <laughs> X amount of money in the, in the first few months. I was Shit, like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> kind <laughs> of like, oh yeah, well, I'm pleased that you finally now realise that actually I was doing a, a good job. But also, I did all the groundwork and now it's mm-hmm. the Hope and Ruin and they did actually finally put the money in. I think it's now sponsored by Jack Daniels, so I guess that's probably what they were holding out for. Mm-hmm. Um but they ultimately did the refit of the plans that we had drawn up. Cool. So there's, a, there's although nobody has any idea that it's anything to do with me, I do. And I think that for yeah, me, yeah. that's kind of like a nice little bit of legacy to have thought that actually I did help do what I wanted to set out and do, mm-hmm. which was turn that venue back into a working, recognised music venue. Yeah. And it is now, and it's on the touring circuit as the Hope and Ruin. And, and yeah, I'm pleased that I was able to, to do that. Um, and kind of coming up to Manchester and kind of going straight into the Ruby Lounge was was. Did really you exciting. see you started South Coast mm. and you've migrated up to the Northwest? Mm. Is there a different live music culture? Very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And can you articulate <laughs> what what that is? I well, firstly, the the it's two very different types of of creative output in mm-hmm. the cities um brighton i would say is far more eclectic uh, more experimental there's lots of different things happening or there was at that time i can't really talk for it now yeah. i mean in the mid noughties brighton had an amazing scene you know the maccabees came out of it 80s matchbox was being like disaster breaks electric soft parade blood red shoes all and the pipettes all did incredibly well after kind of when the tail end of the pipettes happened i personally struggled with with the brighton scene a little bit i thought people weren't as encouraging and as supportive as they had been when i was in the pipettes because we were elbridge sea power of course as well you know everyone was so supportive and really up for yeah come and play a show with us let's play a show with you and i think that was that camaraderie was was brilliant Mm -hmm. um I felt when I was promoting um, and running the hope, I felt that was a little bit different. Everything had sort of seemed to me to become a bit more disparate. Could you say that that was due to the time difference? It could have been. Do you reckon that between what two thousand and three, four, five to yeah. eight, nine, ten? Yeah. Those five years yeah. actually just the scene changed and it was a little bit more no this is mine not yours rather than hey let's all help each other out yeah i do feel that is that carried on 
think? I, well, I don't really know this. I think Brighton's been struck by having loads of venues closed for starters. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's a shame. Um, and I, I get the feeling that the venues that work are run very much for themselves. Right. Um, I don't know, but I don't know if that's genuinely the case. So it's or not. It's, it's completely different. Yeah. Up here. Yeah, completely yeah. different. I think the great thing with with Manchester is how warm people are, mm-hmm. how open minded they are, um, how supportive. I think, and that never changes. That has never changed when I did the the band that I did with Pete projectionist when I've worked with Jessica um, when I've worked in venues for example um, it you meet so many different people um, and every time even if you haven't seen somebody for ages and you bump into them hey what are you doing I really like that thing that you did or you know what I mean everyone seems to care mm-hmm. there's a passion um, in Manchester and a warmth that I feel had left Brighton when I left okay. Brighton anyway um, aside from like the hip hop scene <laughs> kind of got into the hip hop scene in Brighton and that for me was seemed to have that and I think the hip hop scene tends to around the country mm-hmm. a little bit um, but uh, aside from that yeah I, I think everything that I'd been that had been lacking in Brighton for me when I moved to Manchester I suddenly found that again and that's never changed in the 10 years that I've been here um, and now I'm doing a new band I found it it's exactly mm-hmm. it's exactly the same cool it's never changed what has changed in the last 10 years not necessarily specifically to <laughs> Manchester yeah. but working in and around live music um, the way in which promoters operate now I think mm-hmm. is different um, I mean we in my band now we're older um, and because we all work and we wouldn't I could never put myself in the position I did with the pets for example um, now we can turn on and say we're not going to do that gig we're not going to do that gig we kind of pick and choose a little bit more we're, mm-hmm. we're not we know that we don't have to say yes to everything yep social media has changed a lot mm-hmm. um like the fact now that you can get booked on not what you sound like but the amount of likes on your social media yeah i find bizarre like truly bizarre mm-hmm. um because that for me it's not it's potential numbers through through the door exactly though, it? it's about mm-hmm. money rather than artistry yeah. and I, that's that's sad for me it's, especially when i was booking bands i would go for bands that I thought would complement each other rather than who's definitely going to bring the most people through. Right. I mean, that would probably make me order things slightly differently, mm-hmm. but I would never necessarily have a headliner, so to speak. It would just be a case if you're all going to play for 30, 40 minutes, and that's just going to be how it is. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think that, for me, is the, the kind of the main difference, um, that, that kind of... that competition and that expectation um which i don't feel we well i don't think we felt that we just got booked for shows and we would get paid it wasn't loads of money but you mm-hmm. usually if you're the first on you get 20 or 30 quid you know for your taxi ride home yeah, yeah. main Any support would get 50 and if you were headlining you get about 150 200 quid ace awesome mm-hmm. um and now it just that's just not how it is uh, at all um when well, i think that's why we are more picky but i feel what do you think the the state of people going to shows is like? You know, we 
we both work in the education system mm -hmm. and we look at the health of the live music mm. industry a lot and it's very healthy mm. more people are going to festivals than ever before there yeah. are more festivals and stuff what about the local events the local shows yeah are people just walking into venues and going to see those local bands i think or is there a difference between the touring stuff and the... i think there is i think there is a difference but then at the same time i think for example like jimmy's in manchester mm -hmm. the owners have an incredibly strong understanding of social media and of brand value and so what they've been able to do with that venue in two years is absolutely amazing. Mm -hmm. And I have totally taken my hat off to them. I mean, I love George and Jimmy anyway. I think they're fantastic. But what they've been able to do is create a scene in a venue that for me, when I first went and looked around it, I think it was like an old photography studio or hairdressers or something. Right. And you're like, how on earth are you going to make this into a rock and roll venue? And they've done it. And mm. they know their punters. They know the scene. And they seem to be busy, like, almost every night of the week, mm -hmm. which is incredible. Um, and they've done that by working with local bands, specifically. And okay. they have had touring artists come in, but again, it's a 100 capacity venue. Mm -hmm. There's a, it's kind There's of, a limit. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it is like proper toilets, kind of toilet tour, otherwise, mm -hmm. that, they're, they're, that they're putting on. So they've had that mixture um, of some touring um, and some not. But what they've done is shown that there is a growth, there is a desire for people to come and see new music and support new bands and support local bands mm -hmm. as well. And that excites me a lot because it shows that actually there is that growth market. And it's something I'm sure, you know, you talk about this as, as well if you're teaching and the idea of there kind of not being any headliners anymore because they've closed so many music venues mm -hmm. that where do new bands start? Um, well, they start in venues like The Hope. They start in venues like Jimmy's. And mm -hmm. I think that seeing like the fact that they're opening one in Liverpool now just goes to show that there is that drive and that is that scene. Um, and it, like I said, it, it excites me because mm -hmm. it shows that actually the, with the right people running these venues and yeah. the right people promoting these shows, the scene is there mm -hmm. to be to kind of attract people um, to attract punters to and punters want it um, and the, the bands are there the bands are waiting and ready um, and it yeah it just needs the two to work together yeah. and I do actually think that that's something that Manchester is really good at mm -hmm. is kind of having those local shows as well as the touring shows um, like Soup Kitchen does it um, incredibly well as well yeah, yeah. and what actually again what Soup Kitchen does really really well is balance all these very different shows like i wouldn't say that soup is uh genre specific no. at all it's a chameleon and mm -hmm. i love it for that um and that was what excited me when i was working there as well you know mm -hmm. it's just like got loads of live amazing live shows amazing plug shows it suits kind of all ages yeah, all yeah. genres and again they're busy all the time um yes opening up as well you know it's four floors of yes the fact the fact that they can do that mm -hmm. just goes to show what an amazing market manchester is for for both local and for touring shows so i think manchester maybe it's a it's it's kind of own um what's the word like bubble so to speak mm -hmm. um but i think that there is a clear market for both local and touring 
that can work side by side, especially in Manchester, which, cool. is, which is exciting. Mm. You mentioned um, the plight of females in the music industry when yes. you first got into it. Yes. Um, from your perspective, what is it like being a woman in live music and events? Great. Yeah. Yeah. It's. I think it's completely changed. Um, most of my colleagues are female. Um, I would say that industry-wise, it's it's changed a lot. Um, when I was touring with the Fets and going to festivals and stuff, most of the people that I would see were, were men. Um, but now working in it, most of the people I work with are women, which I I've find noticed quite a lot of, especially students and young promoters yeah. are women yeah. now as well. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, I don't know, I think it's obviously been a gradual kind of shift. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because it's not, it doesn't need to be genre specific, uh, sorry, gender specific. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? I mean, there are kind of certain jobs in the industry that are still dominated by, by men. Um, and I think that that is taking a lot longer to change, but it is still changing. Um, but being a promoter, you don't need to have any specific no. skills in you know that are kind of gender specific yeah and you're not aware of things that women are still struggling with or anything like that in a as you pointed out still still a male dominated yeah industry um i don't not that i'm kind of hugely aware of i mean there's like in fact ex-students of mine are part of a collective called Thirsty Girls Collective who are amazing absolutely amazing Um, and they do a kind of a Simpsons themed Simpsons themed nights which that's kind of what they get booked for and it's it's amazing Um, now what they've done is target the the kind of market they're all I think they're all women or or non-binary but they've kind of targeted that particular market and mm-hmm. they've done exceptionally exceptionally well um with it and it isn't promoted as specifically you know by women for women or anything like that mm-hmm. you know anyone can go to their their nights but the fact that you've got something that is co- even has the word girls in it mm-hmm. and it does incredibly well and it not appear to be um the the kind of main selling point i find is great it's just like oh no it's just just because we're women and we started it up mm-hmm. that's why we kind of decided to call ourselves now as far as I'm aware they're doing really well um, and they don't have I don't think they've come up against much sexism so I do think the attitudes have changed mm-hmm. in that respect um, which is which is good and certainly being in a band again and going around to venues and things I don't find I'm being spoken to any differently now, whereas mm-hmm. I did before, about okay. sound engineers that wouldn't even speak to me. So, wow. what what do the singers want across their monitors? Well, why don't you ask them? You know. Wow. <laughs> it's really weird. Whereas now it's just like, Becky, what do you want in your monitor? Just a bit of this, a bit of that done. Thanks very much. You know. So attitudes over the last decade yeah, yeah, definitely yeah. changed. I would say. And last question is about see through hands. Hmm. What's what is it? What's going on with it? Yeah, it's really it's really good fun. We just got um um we announced this morning that we're playing Blue Dot 
Yay! I saw. Cannot wait for that. I've not been to Blue Dot actually. Mm-hmm. I actually always wanted to work on it, um, but it always clashed with something else. I can't remember what. Um, so to be playing it this year is amazing. Um, and this is all. This is again. This is just a bunch of mates getting together, writing some songs, playing some shows, yep. booking your own stuff. Yep. Yeah. Doing it all just for the for the fun of it and love of it, rather yeah. than any other malevolent ulterior <laughs> motives. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've got um, we've got lots of bits and pieces in the pipe work. We've got hopefully got you know a release coming out soon, and we're playing Gotwood um, Festival in June as well, which would be really good. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Duncan from Silver Club, who I met when I first moved up to Manchester, and he was just like, ah. You and the Perpets, we should do some music. <laughs> I was like, yeah, okay, let's do that. And we actually wrote about about an album's worth of material, and we were going to do a, a, a create a band then, um, or at least release the music. And then life just got in the way, um, and we we didn't end up doing it, which was a real shame. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just got a phone call um, last year, just kind of like, oh, I've got this new this new band, um, and do you fancy coming to to sing like yeah sweet let's do that um and that's yeah that's pretty much it so it's duncan's written um the beginnings of the songs um but actually everyone's starting to write now and it'll it's cool. going to become more of a more of a creative process that i'm kind of used to i suppose um in that respect so yeah it's and it's, is there anything else coming up over the summer other than the blue dot festival um blue dot gotwood um i think that's I think that's it at the moment. Um, there's still, I think there's still a few things being being booked, but it's one of those where again, it's it's not about trying to get in as much as possible. It's about mm-hmm. picking the things that are going to be most relevant um, and what we feel will, will kind of yeah be the best thing for for, for the band really. Um, so see, yeah, got hopefully got a release coming out um, end of May, beginning of June. Cool. Um, yeah, we're just kind of seeing seeing what happens. We just played a show in Norwich at the weekend which was really really good fun um, nice and close I know I know that was good um, but uh, but actually it was it was really nice kind of playing this kind of venue it was Sunday night as well so we didn't expect there to be loads of people there at all but the crowd that turned out were really good and people were just like yeah this is the best thing we've heard in ages awesome I've forgotten what that feels like and it's just really mm-hmm. lovely um, and so it's yeah it's great to be playing again with uh, with great bunch of guys as well hmm. nice one thanks for having me thanks for having me <laughs> a massive thank you there to beck for agreeing to be on the podcast it was amazing to talk to her she found time between well within renovating her new home to sit down and talk to me about her career in music Uh, so again massive thank you to beck there Uh, if you'd like to check out the band see through hands that she mentions in the chat please go to soundcloud.com see through hands that's s-double-e T-H-R-U-H-A-N-D-S or also give them a like on Facebook facebook.com see through hands thank you very much Beck uh, as always please do 
get in touch with me here at the podcast at the email address behindthebusinesspod at gmail.com. Um, a number of people have started getting in touch via email, uh, which is great, and I'm chatting to a few people. A number of people are getting in touch with me or with guests via Twitter. Um, I'm at Danny Champion, D-A-N-N-Y, Champion. Uh, so please do uh, follow me on there. Uh, and also on Instagram at Behind the Business Pod. Uh, there's going to be a bunch of other stuff coming up uh, between now and Christmas. So keep an eye on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Uh, but I will let everybody know when that sort of stuff kicks off. Uh, that'll do for this round. And I'll, well, you'll hear from me next time. Cheers. <laughs>